Question, why are so many people giving up on church? I mean, let's be honest, right? There's a ton of reasons. Everybody's probably got their own, but you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it seems irrelevant. Maybe they were hurt. Maybe they just never connected, right? Uh, but I think whatever the reason, it all points back to one simple truth. And we'll get there. Have you ever had a moment of just sheer frustration when trying to use an object or a tool and it just wouldn't work? Everyone's had this. Yes? Okay. Uh, is, uh. <laughs> this sort of thing happens to me a lot when I'm trying to use something in a way that it was not intended to be used, right? Or, or maybe I was just using it improperly, okay? Uh, we perceive the thing to be broken or maybe malfunctioning. It's useless, stupid, useless thing, right? And in our desperation, we toss it aside, maybe through a window, uh, and we, we give up, right? We give up. How many of you have currently those electric automatic can openers at home? See, I see like three, four hands total, maybe. Uh, maybe your grandparents had one. Yeah, yeah. What is the deal with those things anyway? I mean, are we really so lazy that, that we can't crank our wrist eight times for some green beans? Right? It's not that hard. They're such an ingenious design. Uh, but I mean, really, really. I don't have one. I refuse to own one. But, but not because I'm not lazy, okay? Be clear about that. <laughs> it's because when I was a kid, someone in my family had one of these. And I could just never get the darn thing to work. How many of you have had that experience? Yeah? I'd sit there for minutes trying to get it to latch onto the can just right so it'd start doing its thing and give me my green beans. Uh, and then someone would invariably walk up and have pity on me and take the can from me and manage to, to, to get it in there in just a moment. Yeah? All of you nodding are like, yeah, it's a common experience. <laughs> like it was just the simplest, easiest thing in the world to do. I still have a hard time with them. I just can't do it, and I don't understand why, and it drives me nuts. So as far as I'm concerned, they don't exist <laughs> if I can't understand it. So the electric can opener was not malfunctioning, was it? When you understood how to use it, it worked wonderfully to achieve its intended purpose, which, again, was to save you eight cranks of your wrist for some green beans. If you didn't understand how to use it, you would find yourself frustrated, like me, like many of you, evidently. Frustrated with yourself for not being able to use the tool, and frustrated with the tool for not working for whatever reason. For not doing the thing it was designed to do. I wanted my green beans. I bet if you've spotted one recently, uh, it was noticeably yellowed, right? 
and either in your grandma's house or in the very back of an obscure cabinet in your own house because it's been in your family for over a generation and it's stuck with you through the six plus moves you've been through since high school. Right? Yeah, it's just back there. Why is that though? (sighs) Why? Because as the lack of raised hands earlier indicates, we have as a society collectively given up on automatic electronic can openers. They're still out there, right? There's still even people buying new ones for some reason. (laughs) But mostly, they are seen as outdated, right? As a product of a time gone by. And maybe useful for old people. Arthritis, I guess. That all sounds oddly familiar, doesn't it? Society is, by and large, giving up on church. There's still some of us holding on for dear life, waiting for Jesus to come back. Yeah? There's even some new people who somehow catch the vision and buy in. Right? But mostly, it's seen as outdated. As a product of a time gone by. And maybe something your grandma had. Right? Christianity and the church are a lot like those can openers. And like those can openers, I suspect we get frustrated with ourselves and with church because we either do not understand how it works or we are trying to use it for something that it was never intended to be used for. So, what is that purpose? Before I get into that, I want to say something else. I've been wrestling with myself back and forth all morning about whether or not to to give this portion of the message. It came to me, just, and I felt very compelled to to talk about this this morning, and I've wrestled with myself (laughs) back and forth all morning. I'm sure you know how that goes. Uh, But this is for all the people, whether with us this morning or listening online, who have either already given up on church, or maybe if you're here and you're just teetering on the edge of that decision, looking for a reason to hang on. There are two things that do not come easily to anyone, I think. Forgiveness and apologies. So what I'm about to say, it's not easy for me, especially whenever it's not something I necessarily see fault in myself for. I do know that I'm guilty of these things. Nonetheless, While I recognize that there are some people who will say that my words here do not jive or reflect their own thoughts on the matter, I do feel compelled nonetheless to say this, to apologize on behalf of the body of Christ, the church. So, I am sorry that we, the church, have forsaken the beautiful miracle-working power of self-sacrificial love demonstrated by our founder, Jesus of Nazareth, in favor of political clout and fatter wallets. And I am sorry that our quest for these things has resulted in division, hurt, abuse, and scandal. I'm sorry for any time you have been made to feel like your questions, doubts, or struggles made you unchristian, 
And I'm sorry for the times you did not feel safe enough to express those questions, doubts, or struggles for fear of being shunned. Believe me when I say that you are not alone. I'm sorry if someone told you that God took your baby, your spouse, your family member, your friend, to punish you or someone else. And I am sorry if this view of God has left you incapable of experiencing the reality of the all-consuming love that is our Creator God. I am sorry for every spiritual authority you trusted, who abused your trust, and took advantage of you. And I am sorry for a litany of other things that would honestly take me until the end of time to list. I guess, in short, what I really want to say is this. I am sorry that we, the church, have lost our way. This is that one simple truth that it all points back to. And I completely understand if you want nothing to do with it. Regardless, I thank you for reminding us of these things. As Pastor Larry likes to say, people talk with their feet. And I hope beyond hope that you will forgive us and take another chance at journeying with us. We need you. We need your questions. We need your doubts. We need your struggles. And we need your perspective. You and those things are welcome here. It is only through honest engagement with these things that we continue to learn and grow in our understanding of what it means to live a godly, healthy, flourishing life with Jesus. So, the purpose of the church. What is the church? It's not the building, duh, we know that. It's not just the people in this room. German pastor, uh, theologian, Nazi dissident Dietrich Bonhoeffer had this to say. He said, The church is nothing but a section of humanity in which Christ has really taken form. The metaphorical language of the Bible that it's used to describe this reality, we know it well. It is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. So the church is a body and Christ is is the head. This is elementary. We know these things. So what's the purpose of a body? Like, why aren't we just immaterial consciousnesses? Our physical existence is the means by which we interact with the world around us. Now, I want you to pause and let that sink in. Our physical existence is the means by which we communicate and interact with the world around us, with the rest of the world. The only way that you can get a thought from your brain to my brain is to somehow transmit it through our shared physical experience, like I'm doing with you now, right? Sound waves, eardrums, all the fun stuff. The only way 
that I can express love to my wife is through our shared physical experiences. I can do her a favor. I can buy her something. I can speak my love to her. I can hold her hand. I can kiss her. Y'all thinking, I wonder how far he's going to take this. (laughs) But you get the point, right? You get the point. So if the purpose of a body is to communicate and interact with the rest of the world, then what do you suppose is the point of Christ having a body in this world? Light bulb goes off, right? The purpose of the church, the body of Christ, is for the head, that's Jesus, to communicate with and interact with the rest of the world. Remember, the church is nothing but a section of humanity in which Christ has really taken form. Now, for a body to function well, it needs to be healthy. All of its constituent parts need to be operating in tip-top shape, or at least good shape. Now, this is important. Those parts need to be coordinating and communicating properly within the body itself. Everything the New Testament has to say about church life presupposes that Christians are living in close relationships with other Christians. We are told to admonish one another in Colossians 3.16. says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Galatians 6.2 says to carry each other's burdens. Philippians 2.3, consider others better than ourselves. James 5.16, pray for one another. Multiple times in 1 Thessalonians, encourage one another. Colossians 3.13, forgive one another. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. These sorts of instructions assume that Christians are sharing life together in deep, meaningful ways. These are not the sorts of things you do with mere acquaintances. If you tried to do some of these things with strangers, they would think you were, you were crazy. Very few people have these kinds of relationships in their lives. And, and honestly, with church, there's just no opportunity for it, right? How can you develop a meaningful relationship in an hour a week on a Sunday? You can't. Try doing that with your wife or your spouse. See you next week for an hour. Cool. Looking forward to it. And it doesn't even have to be churchy things. We've got several families, you can look around, several families are gone this Sunday because they're in Conway doing baseball stuff, including Pastor Devin and Nisa. You got to get out there and do something together, okay? Some of you are already doing these kinds of things, you know, whether it's through table fellowships or just because, and you're reaping the benefits. You are finding that your connection to the body and your sense of yourself in relation to the whole body is deepening. It's hard to let go. 
It's hard to give up on that. But the point is that when we read the New Testament's teaching about being the body of Christ, we have to understand that it is assuming we will be participating in a community of deep and significant relationships. So church is a body, and a body must be healthy to function properly. A body gets healthy when its constituent parts are healthy and communicating well within itself. So what is this healthy body to then do? This is where I think we lose track. It's a failure to understand these points that cause us to attempt to use church for purposes it was never intended to be used for. It leaves us frustrated. It leaves the rest of the world frustrated with us. And these are, again, these are elementary things. But we have to go back here to remind ourselves of these things. The three purposes of the church. Number one, love and serve God. See, the thing is, is almost all of us do all three of these things but, they, but it gets out of whack. We either put them in the wrong order or, or we, we, we stay at step one, you know, or we try to go through to step three and never address step one and two. But first and foremost, we, the church, are designed to love and serve God. We do this in response to the love that Jesus expressed for us when he died on the cross. We submit ourselves to God's reign, and God empowers us to live a life that breathes worship. Romans 12 says that our, our, our bodies should be living sacrifices. But not only in our lives, but also in our time together like this on Sundays, we should be celebrating who God is and what God has done for us. Try it. If you're standing there like this in worship, maybe next week try something else. Maybe one hand or, I don't know, just sing. I don't really care what you do, but do something celebratory. Engage. We are to, vote, to devote ourselves to God. And from this devotion to God, the other two purposes flow. Number two, we are to love and serve the body of Christ. That's each other. Romans 12 says that one way of doing this is by caring for the needy among us. Another is by allowing God to use our gifts to help each other. Whether your gift is pastoring or teaching or evangelism or hospitality or administration or compassion or words of knowledge or healing, whatever your gift might be, all of you are called to offer your gift in service to the community that we call church. If you are not doing that, what are you doing? If you don't know what your gift is, that could be your reason why. We really love to help you figure that out. It's kind of our thing. So ask. But according to the New Testament, the church, the community of those who follow Jesus is supposed to be the main argument for the truth that Jesus is Lord. You know, we get so hung up sometimes on apologetics. I used to love apologetics. I hate it now. This is supposed to be the proof. 
the radical love that we have for each other is supposed to convince the world that Jesus is for real. We have to get over ourselves long enough to really see the other. And it's supposed to be hard. It's the primary way we grow up in the faith, being around each other. Because honestly, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes you don't want it. You guys know about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Of course. But did you know that there were other sects uh, jockeying for power at the time of Jesus? One of those sects were the Kanaim, what we call the Zealots. These folks were dedicated to resisting the Roman Empire and their taxation of the Jewish people. And this crew was violent. Violent. You could honestly compare them to modern-day terrorists. They would camp out in the hills and wait for Roman uh, you know, caravans to go by. They would attack them and kill them, women, children, men, whatever, destroy things. They especially loved to target other Jews who were cooperating with the Romans. That was the worst thing you could do. Like the Jewish tax collectors who actively aided the Roman Empire in oppressing their fellow Jews. So knowing this, it might come as a shocker when you read the following. Luke chapter 6, 12 to 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. What did you notice there? Simon the... J Jesus had a, <laughs> a violent revolutionary as one of his inner twelve. Yep. Now, this next bit is really going to blow your mind. Matthew 10, 1-4, what Miss Vicky read for us this morning. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave him them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Bartholomew, or Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We saw Simon the Zealot there again, but what else did you notice? Matthew the holy cow. Here, in Jesus' innermost circle, we've got two men whose worldviews are diametrically opposed to the other. One of them wants to kill the other one. Have you ever experienced that in church? It's so easy to miss if you're not aware of the context. But it's huge, okay? Now think about this. It is to these men that Jesus is teaching that the world will know him by their love for one another. Think about the person you disagree with the most in your life. Is that person a Christian? You might go, no, they're not Christians. Yes, they are. Prove to the world 
that Jesus is real. I'm sure their differences led to some really fun late night chats around the campfire. (laughs) But it's worth noting, we never read about it in the Gospels, do we? No. If we had, you'd already know this information. But it's, it's, yeah. These two men laid aside their differences for the sake of following Jesus. We can and we must do the same. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't even have to agree on most things. Evidently, Jesus thought it was good that we didn't, or he wouldn't likely have had had two guys with opposable worldviews in his same group learning and doing ministry together. Not in different churches across town together. Right? Really, really, really let that sink in. So find a place. I am pretty partial to this place for obvious reasons. But I genuinely do not care where you land as long as you land somewhere. Find a place, wherever it is, and commit to really doing life there. Really serving those people with whatever you have to offer. Whether that's finance or gifts, or just a shoulder to cry on. Offer yourself to the body. And refuse to be shaken. Refuse to be offended. Number three, love and serve the world. Again, the primary way that we do this is by being healthy ourselves. Both individually and collectively, since That is supposed to be the main argument for the reality of Jesus. James says that we are to be a demonstration of the beauty of God's goal for all of humanity as his first fruits. Beyond this, our ministry to the world should reflect God's love and care by taking responsibility for whatever ills of society God lays on our hearts. And all of this All three of these things are centered on love. We are nothing without love. It doesn't matter how big we get. It doesn't matter how awesome we think we are, how many problems we solve. If we do it without genuine self-sacrificial love, then it is nothing but religious noise. Paul says it is a a clanging symbol. The one thing that counts, Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, is faith expressing itself through love. I thought I had that for the screen. There it is. The one thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Quick, how many other things count? What? So here's the reality. Christianity and the group of people who adhere to it, the church, it was never supposed to be about having a distinctive set of beliefs 
and behaviors. Yes, those things matter. Yes, those things are important, but it is not the primary thing that we are about. Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could make a club of people who think and behave like we do. That was the mistake Israel made early on in the Old Testament, and we do well to avoid that mistake. The problem with church, the reason so many Christians want to give up, in my opinion, is because that's what we've been trying to do with church. We've been trying to use it for something it was never intended to be used for. This frustrates us. Even those of us who are still on the inside of that bubble, it frustrates us. We feel like something is not right. And you can't put your finger on it, but this is it. And it frustrates the world around us that we're trying to communicate and interact with as the body of Christ. We need someone to walk up, take that can out of our hands, and stick it in the can opener the right way so that we can get our green beans. And here's the remedy. We have to renew our understanding of what it means to be the church, the body of Christ. We have to renew our hope that this sort of reality is indeed possible. It's not too far-fetched. It's not a pipe dream. And we have to renew our dedication to the mission that we've been given. To love God, love each other, love the world. And today, as we take communion together, this is what I want to focus on. 